Let me go ahead and open our, our time in a word of prayer first, and then we will get to opening the scriptures together and looking at what it has to say about evangelism. Father God, thank you so much, Lord, for this good news, this good news that we just heard from Eli and from Monique, Lord, and that you've given us in your word. And I just thank you, Lord, that this good news is available for anybody who would receive it and put their faith and trust in Christ, Lord, that we don't have to be condemned, that we don't have to face your wrath, Lord, but there is a way, even though we don't deserve it, Lord. So we praise you for that fact, and I just pray that as you put on our hearts this evening what it means to evangelize and what it means to share your gospel, Lord, I just pray that we would be faithful and obedient in doing that, and would we see the fruit of that, Lord, as you bring people to yourself. And pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So hopefully, just going through that exercise, even if you just have a few minutes, you can share the gospel. And obviously, you'd want more time to be able to go more in depth and be more comprehensive and and, and ask more questions and things like that. But even if you aren't able to get to every single point that you want to, it's still worth speaking the truth. It's still worth speaking the truth because you can set the foundation for the gospel to take root and for either yourself in a different conversation or for more people to carry on what has begun there. And uh, contrary to what you may have heard, Sharing the gospel or evangelizing means speaking the truth of the gospel. A lot has been written about lifestyle evangelism. This is where you evangelize by the way that you live your life. And I'm very familiar with this because in college, I actually had a small group that was all about lifestyle evangelism and how to do that. And frequently, We would come across this phrase, if you read any uh, literature on lifestyle evangelism, share the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Now, there's nothing wrong with living the gospel and being a living testimony of the gospel before unbelievers, and we should be, we must be. But let's make no mistake there, if you're going to be sharing the gospel, at some point, you will have to use words. Because words are always necessary, because words are how God changes people. And specifically, God's words are how God changes people. So lifestyle evangelism, I have no problem with. But it's not a replacement for sharing the words of the gospel message that the Lord has given us. Now, there's so much that we could talk about when talking about the gospel and evangelism, but I'll do my best with you know, the the short time that we have, just to provide some helpful encouragement for you guys, but also some exhortation. I think we need both. And just to let you know, I need these reminders as well, and I need these words as well. So let's start off just by turning to Romans 1.16. Romans 1.16. It's a verse that I'm sure you guys are all familiar with. And it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So this is a verse I'm confident that we know. But where I'm not confident is, is this a verse that we believe when it comes to our evangelism? Do you truly believe that the gospel is the power of God for salvation? Or are we ashamed? 
So first things first, do you know the gospel yourself? We have to start there. If someone asked you to share the gospel, would you even know where to start and what to say? And for a lot of professing Christians, if you asked if they were saved, in a heartbeat they'd say, yes, absolutely. But if you asked them to share the gospel, it'd be a deer in the headlights. What do I do? What do I say? They don't know what to say. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to be a gifted speaker, and it doesn't mean that you need to explain things perfectly. It doesn't mean that you don't stumble through your words and stumble through your points sometimes. It's not a question of whether or not you're a good communicator or a poor communicator, but a question of whether or not you know what the gospel is. If you don't, or if you're unsure, then how can we be confident and so confidently claim to be saved by something that we don't know? So if we're going to be sharing the gospel, we need to ensure that we're sharing God's gospel message, not our own. And too often we can bring our own ideas and our own values into it so we can somewhat compromise the gospel message. But let's remember that the gospel is not about us and how we frame it or how we spin it, but it's about God. Now, both Eli and Monique, they shared with us what the gospel is. Here are some things that the gospel is not. And let's see if some of these things sometimes creep into our evangelism. Firstly, the good news is not simply that you're okay and you don't need to worry about your sin. Actually, instead of downplaying our sin, the gospel will underscore the severity of our sin and helping us to see that it is actually far more serious than we might have thought. Because the law of God is the expression of God's character, and to transgress his law is to be the very enemy of God himself. And that breaks our relationship with him. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death, right? It's a serious matter. And in James, it says that if you're guilt, you are guilty of the whole law if you break just one. And Christ himself, he doesn't downplay sin either. In Matthew, he says that if you look at a woman with lustful intent, you are an adulterer. If you hate your brother, you are a murderer. That's what Jesus says. The gospel treats your sin for what it actually is, and it never minimizes your sin. The gospel does not say that you're okay. It actually says that there's something wrong with you. And if you don't know Christ, you're dead. And you're so dead that Christ says that you don't just need some fixing up, but you need to be completely born again. So the goal of the gospel is not to make you feel better about your sin. The salvation you receive through the gospel is not just a salvation from feelings of guilt. It's a salvation from actual guilt. Actual guilt that rests on you because of your sin. So an accurate understanding of who you are and how dire your situation is, is critical. You wouldn't accept a cure if you don't know that you're sick. More so than just being about your problems, it's about God's design for you. God's image in you has been marred and tainted and misrepresented by us when we sin. Second, the good news is not that Jesus will make your life better. In fact, the opposite is likely true. Philippians 1.29, it has been granted for you to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So 
The gospel and the good news is not that Christ is here to make your life better. Third, the good news is not simply that God is love. That sounds heretical. God is love, but he is also God who is holy and just, and that he cannot allow sin to go unpunished. He is a just and righteous God. Fourth, the good news is not simply that Jesus wants to be our friend. And for those of you who have attended our Harvest and Hospitality sessions, you'll know that you'll be familiar with this. I had a friend in college who had a trucker hat that read, Jesus is my homeboy. This was his favorite hat. Jesus is a friend, but that's not all he is. If we communicate about Christ in a way that he's just a really good friend, it undersells who Christ is and may even be dishonoring to him. If I call my wife, Joanna, my friend, to introduce her, I'm not wrong. I like to think that we're friends, but just calling her a friend when she's so much more than that, it can honestly be a little bit hurtful. Is that all she is? Jesus is not our homeboy. He's a savior and a Lord. And we're not on par with Jesus. Fifth, the good news is not simply that we must live rightly. Actually, the gospel makes it clear that we have not lived rightly and that we are unable to live rightly. But Christ did live rightly, and his righteousness is available to us through faith. So do we know the gospel? Or do these other things kind of creep in when we're sharing the gospel? And yes, you do need to know the content of the gospel, but I'm not only talking about do you know the four points of the gospel or do you know the Romans road? I'm not just talking about the outline because the gospel isn't just a content of the message that we share. It is the power of God for salvation. And that starts with your salvation. It's not just what you share, it's also the reason why you share. It's what you share from. It defines and controls who you are as the one sharing it. If the gospel doesn't mean the world to you, then what do we really have to share? So that's where it has to start. So you see, when we're sharing the gospel, it's not just that we're acting like a courier or like a a UPS delivery person. We're not just someone who drives a brown truck and has no idea what's inside the package that we're delivering to someone. Now, when we deliver the gospel message, you know what's in the package. You share the gospel as someone who has experienced the power for salvation firsthand, so much so that you're compelled to share that. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation for everyone who believes. Yes, for those whom you are sharing with, but don't forget, that's for you too. And oftentimes, if, we're, if we find that we're not sharing the gospel, it's because we ourselves have strayed from the gospel in our own lives. And we're not thinking of it, meditating and appreciating and staying close to it each day. So is the gospel a foreign or unfamiliar, dispassionate message for you? Or is it something that you hold dear? Now, if you came here this evening looking for evangelism strategies and techniques... I'm sorry to disappoint you. I'm not going to share that tonight. I'm not here to give us evangelism strategies or techniques because strategies and techniques are not the power of God for salvation. No one's ever been saved by a strategy or a technique, but by the power of God alone. 
Many years ago, I participated in a missions trip to Argentina. And part of that trip was going to these barrios, these neighborhoods, and just going from house to house and sharing the gospel with anybody who would listen. Now, I don't speak Spanish, so we worked with translators from a local Bible institute who would go with us and then translate for us. Now, these translators, they were evangelism machines. They would get conversion after conversion after conversion, and they had techniques. They had this evangelism cube, which was this slick little Rubik's cube-looking thing that you would just illustrate the gospel by folding it and unfolding it and arranging it in certain ways, and it would show pictures that would walk through the gospel. I didn't use the cube. I preferred to use a leather-bound rectangle instead. So I was assigned a translator, Monica, and she and I would go door to door, and I would then share the gospel with people, and then Monica would translate for me. But after a few houses, it became clear to me that Monica was getting noticeably frustrated with me. And at one point, even though I don't speak Spanish, I noticed that she was starting to translate things that I wasn't actually saying. And at one point, she completely took over the conversation, speaking with someone, and it was just Spanish, 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 Spanish. And all of a sudden, English, when she turned to me and she said, okay, she's saved, do the prayer with her. And I was like, whoa. Uh, I did not end up doing the sinner's prayer with this person, but I took the opportunity to ask more questions. And Monica was getting upset at me for spending so much time going over sin and hell and repentance and not closing the deal. So we had to take a break, and we had to get back on the same page. Now, by any worldly measure, our evangelism that day was an abject failure. After our trip, though, I found out that Monica had started complaining about me with one of her fellow translators back at the Bible Institute, that we didn't get any conversions because I kept on talking about how people needed to turn from their sin. And this fellow translator, bless his heart, he said, hey, I think he may be right. And he proceeded to open his Bible with her and showed her what God's word said. And that summer, Monica got saved. That's the power of God for salvation. So it turns out our evangelism was successful after all, just not in the way that we anticipated. But God was at work, not through slick techniques like an evangelism Rubik's Cube, but by the power of his word. So I'm not here to give us techniques I'm just going to spend the rest of our time reminding us of what God's word tells us and calls us to do so that we can be faithful with it. And for your reference, a lot of what we discussed tonight is from a little book called The Gospel and Personal Evangelism um, by Mark Dever. So if you ever wanted to dig further into a topic, I do recommend that book. So firstly, we are called to pray. We are called to pray. 1 Timothy 2. Starting in verse 1, first of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So plain and simple, we need to pray for the salvation of unbelievers. Unbelievers. 
And we do this because it's pleasing to God who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We need to pray because if anyone is saved through our evangelism, it will be because God saved them. Not because of our giftedness or our persuasiveness, although we should use our gifts and we should persuade, but if there is any response to that, it's only through the power of God. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul himself says that he did not come with lofty speech or wisdom. And later on in the same chapter, in verse 14, he says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So what hope do we have in our wisdom and in our words? We need the Spirit to give understanding. And so we need to pray. Sometimes we can get discouraged and frustrated in evangelism. And sometimes that's because we try to do everything in our own power. In John 3, Christ tells Nicodemus that being born again is comparable to, be, to wind blowing as it wishes. Now, we cannot control or predetermine how the wind is going to blow. And if that's the nature of how people are born again, then it's in completely in God's hands. We can't predecide that someone can't be saved, God can save anyone. If he was able to save you, why couldn't he save someone else? And on the flip side, we cannot ensure that someone will absolutely get saved by our own strength of argument or by our sheer willpower. That's why we need to go to God on our knees in prayer. So if we cut God out of the process, it just becomes an exercise of trying to win an argument sometimes. And guys, we can win all the arguments. We can refute every single one of their points with a perfect response. And in the end, if the Spirit has not changed their heart and moved them, they'll just say, you know what, you're right, but I refuse to trust in Christ. So congratulations, we won an argument with our words, but their soul may be as far away from God as it ever was. So we need to pray. Just pray that the Holy Spirit would open sinners' eyes to their own sinfulness, that Christ would be revealed to them, and that he would give them faith and repentance and forgiveness. What we can also pray for is we can pray for opportunities. Many of us, myself included, we may say that we don't have enough opportunities to share the gospel. Well, if that's the case, we can pray for opportunities and just see what the Lord provides. And when those opportunities come, let's take advantage of them. Don't let them just come and go. Don't waste the opportunities that we pray for. So next, what are we called to do? Or what are we called to be? We are called to be prepared. We are called to be prepared. First Peter 3.15, it says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Also in 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, it says, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. So you, yes you, should be ready to share the gospel. And this does not mean that you need to have gone to seminary to share the gospel. You don't need to be a overseas missionary. That doesn't need to be your profession for you to share the gospel. And you don't need to have even gone through evangelism training 
to share the gospel. If you are saved, you know the gospel. And if you know the gospel, you can evangelize. Some may say, well, you know, I don't have the gift of evangelism. That's a gift, right? You don't have to have the gift of evangelism to be called to evangelism. You just need to be saved. And that is the only prerequisite. If you are saved, you are called to evangelism, whether you're specifically gifted at it or not. If we don't think that we can adequately share the gospel, just share it anyways. God can use our feeble efforts to do a mighty work. We're just called to walk in the Spirit and walk in obedience. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't and shouldn't prepare. Yes, you should prepare. You should rehearse. You should work to make things as clear as possible. But we should not talk ourselves out of sharing the gospel just because we don't feel like we're fully prepared for it. You don't have to answer all of someone's questions to be able to evangelize. You're not the one who's going to change their heart anyways. You just get them to the Savior, and Christ can save them. We are all called to make disciples of Christ. And for those of you who are members, you'll know Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Probably those of you who aren't members know this as well. Jesus came, said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So this was a command to the disciples directly. But this includes the call to teach other disciples to obey all of Christ's commands. So we are in this as well. This command is for you and I. Next, what are we called to do? We are called to fear God, not man. We are called to fear God and not man. And sometimes we don't share the gospel because we're fearful. And if that's you, I think you have a lot of company. Sharing the gospel can be scary. And this applies to me too. Oftentimes I'm afraid to share the gospel because I fear what people will think of me or how they're going to respond to me or how it'll make the relationship weird. But the challenge I have for you and for myself is, is it okay to not share the gospel out of a fear of man? No. We may be fearful of man, but we need to fear the Lord more. Galatians 1.10, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Also, 2 Timothy 1, verses 7 to 8, it says, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So the question we need to ask ourselves, do we fear man more than we fear God? Is man's opinion more important to us than God's commandments? If this is the case, it shows what we worship. Because what we fear is an indicator of what we worship. So if we live according to the fear of man and we're controlled by that and out of a desire to please man rather than God, we're worshiping the wrong thing. And that's called idolatry, which is placing man above God. And this idolatry shows 
if we don't evangelize. So we need to be willing to evangelize even though we are scared. And I'm not going to stand here and tell you that it isn't scary to share the gospel. Yes, it can be. But God is with you, and you can still obey. God is greater than man. When we don't share God's good news of salvation out of fear, we're actually not fearing the Lord. But what then if someone rejects us? What if someone rejects us if we evangelize to them? You know what? They might. They might. 1 Corinthians 1.18 For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Some people that you share with, to them, you're sharing folly. You're sharing foolishness. So it's not surprising if they reject it. And also, Romans 8, 7, it says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. If someone's not ready to receive the gospel, it may be an offense to them. And while you should never try to offend someone while evangelizing, the fact of the matter is that the gospel is an offense to those who are perishing. But we need to be willing to evangelize even if the outcome isn't what we desire. We shouldn't fear people. Instead, we should replace our fear of people with a Christ-like love for the people that God has placed in our lives. If we loved these people, we would share the gospel with them even if it might offend them. And we don't know that it would, but it might. And sometimes our fear of people will outweigh our love for them. And that's not right. If we refrain from giving someone the good news because we're unwilling to risk being weird or awkward, we're complicit in their remaining lost. Not that it all depends on us, but we're not giving them the cure. You have the cure for cancer that can save those who are dying from it. Would we keep that to ourselves? For many of you, there are people in your life where you are the closest Christian person to them. Now, God could have placed someone else in their life, but he didn't. He chose to place you there, holding the cure to their darkness, holding the word of life that can save their soul. And God puts you there for a reason. Now, whether someone accepts or rejects it is not up to you. So you shouldn't compromise the gospel to make it more acceptable and make it more palatable to people. All we do is communicate what the Bible says about the state of their soul and how they can be right with God, and we watch what God does. We don't know what he will do. They may reject it now, but you might plant the seeds for the gospel to take root later on, and if that's all you've done, you've been faithful. God can and God will save whoever he wants. He's kind enough to include us as a part of that process that we would grow as well. And finally, we are called to remember Christ. We are called to remember Christ. And I want to bring it back full circle here to where we started. 
We need to remember Christ and we need to remember the gospel because sharing the gospel and evangelizing can be sometimes discouraging. Recently, in our Logos sessions throughout the semester, we went through the epistles of 1 Timothy and Titus this past year. And as we read through those epistles and all the other epistles, what you'll find is that scriptures will always connect our obedience to Christ with the work that Christ has already done in us. And yes, we need to be obedient in sharing the gospel with the lost, but we can only do so as people who have been transformed by the gospel ourselves. The imperatives of what we do for Christ always will come alongside the indicatives of who we are in Christ. So 1 Timothy 1, 12 to 17, maybe a little small, so I'll read that for us. It says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he has judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Is that our heart and our perspective towards sharing the gospel and sharing the faith that God has given us? Are we so overwhelmed as Paul was here and in awe of the fact that we are actually forgiven of our sins that it grips our hearts? If, if it doesn't, then it's no wonder why we struggle with evangelism, isn't it? And we need to confess that before the Lord. There's an old saying, what grips your heart wags your tongue. What grips your heart wags your tongue. And that's just an old-fashioned way of saying that you will talk about what you care about. So if you find it difficult to share the gospel, what does that say about the place that the gospel has in our own hearts? So we daily need to be remembering and appreciating the wonderful good news for ourselves that a holy God would even think to save us. Our unsafe friends and our family need the gospel, but we need it too. And when we're in a place where that's precious to us, our evangelism will follow. Even if we're rejected, the hope of Christ and his good news in our lives will still burn within us and we can still be joyful. So with that, I thought it would be appropriate for us to, do, to take some time this evening um, to break up into groups of you know, maybe four people just around where you're sitting, three or four people. And I'd like for us to share about someone in our lives who does not know Christ. And we can do that by name. And I'd like us to spend some time to pray for that person, salvation. And each of us can do that in our groups. Um, for anybody who is not a believer, I just ask that you be honest about that. You don't do yourself or anyone else any favors by hiding that. Just ask for prayer that the Lord would show you your need for him, that he is willing 
to take your sin and to take your guilt, to bear it himself so that you could receive his righteousness instead.